Now, I started all of my recordings except that one, but uh, it is Black Focus Radio, so we got everything rolling. Got a lot of stuff to talk about today. My co-host, Robert Webb, will be out today. Uh, I'm going to address a couple of things today. This this quack doctor conspiracy theory, I'm, I'm going to address that. Uh, we're certainly going to continue to talk about what's going on with the schools and how many professional doctors, not politicians, but doctors are saying you shouldn't send your child to school. And I happen to agree with them. Uh, we'll get into some other stuff as well today. Tons and tons of things to talk about. I want to remind you to go out to the website and download uh, the Joinette radio app. That way you can carry us everywhere you go. Uh, it is important that you download that app or at least listen on the website because of some of the things that we've got coming up here in the very near future. In fact, beginning of September, to be precise, okay? And I'll tell you about that here in just a moment. Also, currently we are streaming live on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. We may not be doing that the whole show, but I will tell you that next week or next in, in about a month, we will not be streaming much at all, okay, as far as, as, far as social media. Now, I'll, I'll tell you that here in a moment. All right, also, if you miss any part of the show, go out and download the Joinette Radio, well, excuse me, go out and download the podcast. And you can go out to any of your favorite podcast platforms. We are currently on about 11 different ones, so we ought to be easy to find. Just go out and do a search on um, Black Focus Radio. That reminds me. Let me see if we're on this one. Uh, but even if we're not, I'm, I'm, I didn't realize. I'm, I'm checking to see if we're on, on SoundCloud. And if we're not, then uh, you all can. Because uh, SoundCloud is not necessarily a podcast. But just checking, just checking, just black. Okay. 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 I'll double check that for you here in a little bit. But I don't think we are on SoundCloud. Okay. Uh, there was an original Black Focus Radio on SoundCloud a while back, but it's not, and that's been over a year. But SoundCloud doesn't refresh its podcast the way the others do. Uh, this program I use actually sends us straight to uh, SoundCloud, I mean, straight to the podcast. And I, I'll tell you what I'll do uh, after the show. I will go out, because I have a SoundCloud uh, um, identification. I have a SoundCloud cloud program, and I'll see if it doesn't cost anything. I will start uploading to SoundCloud also. Anyway, all right. So I say all that to say this: that after this week, for the entire month of August, all of our programming will be pre-recorded. 
Okay? So basically what we'll be doing is running old shows for a month. That doesn't mean that we're going off the air. So any of you out there who want to throw out conspiracy theories, I know there are a lot of you. Okay? We are doing some upgrading to the system. And when I say, and we've been talking about this off and on for approximately a year now, okay? For approximately a year. And we're finally at that point. We're finally at that point where we can begin to start shifting things that are on air. So we are doing that. We're going off for a month because. We are repurposing our studio. If you've ever been in the studio, you know that we've got our big studio desk with all our monitors and stuff sitting right on the desk. And it's in the middle of the studio. Well, the reason we're changing things is because we're going to start doing a video broadcast. Okay? We're going to start doing a video broadcast which means that you will be able to go out to joinetradio.com and listen and watch the entire video broadcast of all of our live shows. Really excited about this. It's supposed to be Breakfast Club-esque. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not involved in the technical aspect of putting this thing together. Uh, I will come in and do some tweaking after all the construction and stuff is done, but... There are other people who are doing that. So I'm just letting you know uh, that that's what's about to happen. And in order to do that, we have to be off the air because we've got to disconnect stuff and move stuff around and, and all of that crazy stuff that happens when you're moving electronic equipment. All right? So uh, that's what's happening here at joinetradio.com. We're excited about the changes. That means that we're growing. Uh, that means that thanks to you, the listeners, you have played an intricate role in us moving forward and making this happen. As I said, what we will do with social media, we will tease the shows. All right? So the days of totally broadcasting on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter are over. OK, so, for instance, we'll start the show and maybe I'll start the show as I've done today on some of the social media accounts. And then I'm going to tell you to download the Joinet radio app or go to the website so you can watch us live. That's how that's going to work. OK, and then I'm going to disconnect from social media. I know it's a little bit convenient for you all to just click on your social media button. But here's why this is important to our station. Anytime you go to the Joinet Radio website, it's calculated. It's logged. We as a radio station, and, and, and I got to be honest with you, we as a radio station use that data in order for us to sell, to sell advertising. So as I was saying yesterday, and you're going to hear me talk about it again tomorrow, that quite often when we go out to sell advertising, the number one, the first question we usually get is how many listeners do you have? Okay. 
So we can use the data. So when you log on to the website, it records that you log on. Then we turn around and use that data so that we can go out and sell advertising. If you log on to Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, or Twitter and watch the show, we here at Joinet Radio get no credit for you watching the show through another medium. You understand that, right? This I'm talking radio jargon for you right now. So it's important for us as a radio station to be able to track our listeners so that we can make money. I will also tell you that potentially there are going to be some billboards popping up around the city as well to advertise Joinet Radio. Looking forward to that. Don't know if I'm going to be on one as of yet, but you will be seeing some Joinet Radio type billboards uh, from what I understand coming up in the very near future. Okay? So, that's what we're doing. So we apologize that it's certainly going to be an inconvenience to a lot of people that we're not on the air. Uh, we just want to, and I'm going to, I'll be logging on periodically on Black Focus Webs, on Black Focus Radio Facebook page just to let you know, just to remind you that we're not on, but we're still talking about the issues. Uh, we will also, for Black Focus Radio, create a forum on the Black Focus Radio page so that if we need to discuss some issues, we'll be able to do that on the page, all right? And I might just go ahead and log on and do a live once, maybe not every day, but once or twice a week to see what is going on, what's happening, keep you updated on what's going on with the radio station, all right? But I'm telling you, this is going to be to benefit everybody. It's certainly going to benefit the radio station by having a video to run with our shows. And it's also going to benefit you because now you'll be able to watch us in studio, in a very nice studio, by the way, an updated studio. And if you're mad at us, you can throw rocks at your TV or something. And I one other point about this is that I understand that what they're doing is going to be interactive. So that means that you will be able to send us information, we'll see it on the screen, and we'll be able to get back to you just like Facebook. Now that's what they're telling me, okay? So that's what's going on as it relates to the radio station, and we're excited about it. 855-525-5683 is the number. That's how you get in touch with me if you want to join the show. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, okay? We'll get into all of that. We got a, uh, Someone did a genealogy report on Tom Cotton, and we're going to look at that as well. We've got some great quotes. We've got to talk about the Little Rock Central grad who is uh, in part working on the the Mars 2020 project. I'm really when I saw that yesterday, I was really really excited about it, okay? Uh we're also going to talk a little bit about uh George Zimmerman. Uh if if these reports are correct, the pistol that he used to kill, let me take that back. The pistol that he used to murder Trayvon Martin sold apparently for over $250,000.
I'm going to do a little research on that. Also, we're going to talk about Umbrella Man. Do you know who Umbrella Man is? Well, Umbrella Man, uh, during the, uh, the protest of George Floyd in Minneapolis when they first broke out, there was, and if you saw any of the protest, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a guy with an umbrella dressed in black, face covered, that was breaking out windows. He was a white guy. No one knew who he was. I think he's been identified now. And we're going to talk a little bit about setting up protest and why it's important that you do some training before you do that. All right? 855-525-5683 is the number. That's how you get in touch with me. Hey, we're 17 minutes into the show, and we haven't done black facts. What's wrong with you? Dynamic black facts. Our culture, our history, our people. Well, yesterday we did a fantastic black fact um, about... Tell you what, let's do this one. Yesterday we did a great black fact. Today, uh, and it was Shannon Sharp. Today, there's been a lot of hubbub about the 1619 Project. So, although this is a little long, it's going to be about 10 minutes, but we've got to go ahead and do this. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones the author of The 1619 Project, was on The Daily Show. And let's just, let's just listen to her and her words about The 1619 Project. Because Tom Cotton is a damn fool, and I enjoy making a fool out of him every chance I get. And here's another example of that. So here is Nicole Hannah-Jones, on The Daily Show, talking about the 1619 Project. Welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you. And congratulations on creating and working with a group of people on a project that has gone on to become more than just a moment, but rather a rethinking of America's history. Let's start with the why behind this. I mean, history seems like it has been written. So why try and write it again? Well, history has been written, but uh, it's been written to tell us a certain story. And uh, the 1619 Project is trying to reframe that story. And it's really about uh, the ongoing legacy of slavery. We've been taught that slavery was a long time ago, get over it, which is something nearly every black person in this country hears at some mm -hmm. point. And the 1619 Project is really saying that uh, slavery was so foundational to America and its institutions that we are still suffering from that legacy now. And it's exploring the many ways that we, that we still are. It's interesting that you've chosen the year 1619 because many people would say, but this was before America existed. You know, why not start at America's founding and then not include the years before when this was a colony and Virginia and Britain were involved? So why do you choose that point? And why do you argue more importantly 
that on the 14th, you say on the 400th anniversary of this fateful moment, it is finally time to tell our story truthfully. Yes, so it's funny because this year is also the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower. Yet no one argues that we shouldn't learn about the Mayflower because that predates the United States. We know that that was an important moment. Um, I would argue that the White Lion, which was a ship that arrived a year earlier carrying enslaved Africans, was far more important to the American story uh, than 1620, than the Mayflower. So. No, America hadn't yet formed, but Virginia was the first colony. Our institutions would come out of the 13 colonies, mm -hmm. uh, our legal system, our cultural system, our political system, and certainly the anti-black racism that we still struggle with is born at that moment. When you, when you start off in this magazine, there's a, there's a really beautiful passage in the beginning where you talk about your personal journey and, and how you struggled with your relationship with America as a country. And, and it's a really beautiful tale you tell about growing up um, you know, on the land where so many people had died and toiled as, as enslaved people. You also talk about how your father was a proud American and how you didn't understand how he could be proud to be American when America seemed to be against him in spite of everything that he did. Yes. How, how did you reconcile that or, or did working through this project change your view on, on how to be American or, or how not to be American? Yeah, absolutely working on the project changed my perspective on my father. Um, I opened the piece talking about how my dad, who was born in apartheid Mississippi, mm -hmm. uh, flew this flag in our front yard on this giant flagpole. And he was one of the only black people I knew who flew a flag in their yard, and I was deeply embarrassed by that. Um, but as I started researching for this project, and my essay is really about how black Americans have had this pivotal role of actually turning the United States into a democracy, I got that he understood something that I didn't, that um, no one has a right to take away our citizenship and our rights to think of ourselves as American because so much of what uh, black people have done is what has built this very country that we get to live in today. What do you, what do you mean specifically when you say that? Because that, that, was, that was an idea that I don't think I had fully thought about before I read this magazine, was the concept that America's foundation was a lie in that it, it was a group of promises that weren't, that weren't fulfilled, you know, to, to both people of color and to women in many respects. And, and what you argue in this magazine is that black people basically had the job of making it a truth. What, what, what did you mean by that? Absolutely. So when Thomas Jefferson writes those famous uh, English words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, uh, he owns 130 human beings at that time, including some of his own family members. And he understands that uh, one-fifth of the Dinner population the will enjoy none of those Tonight? rights and liberties. So Alexa, we are founded on start my own paradox. But black people yeah, so read those so words so and said, oh, we're going to believe that these words are true and apply to us. Fight again and again. We see them fighting at the revolution. We are as close to a multiracial democracy uh, as we've ever been. It's it's a it's a really beautiful story in that in that it's told not through the lens of anger but rather through the lens of collecting stories. You know, it's 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 the facts. I feel it's a, a little story. angry. A little angry. A little, oh, a little it doesn't angry. it doesn't it doesn't feel like okay, anger good. so much as it feels like a truth. <laughs> yeah. You know? What 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 it has sparked though 
is is a, a fight over history and how the history is told. Yes. You know, once this magazine came out, there were there were many historians who who you know came after you and said, no, this is this is incorrect. The primary reason that America sought its independence from Britain was not because they wanted to maintain slavery. It was because of taxation without representation. It it wasn't the primary cause. Why do you think there's such a resistance to slavery being one of the primary causes of America breaking away from Britain? Because we need to believe as a country that uh, our founding was pure. That yes, you know, we had some troubles, including um, holding 500,000 people in bondage. Mm -hmm. um, but that largely we were a nation founded to be exceptional and these uh, majestic ideas. And that our founders, uh, though complicated men, were men who were righteous. But when you argue um, that our founders were, many of them, very hypocritical, and that you can't just simply overlook the mm -hmm. fact that slavery was a motivation in some of the colonies. Yes, taxation was a motivation, but also uh, the ability to keep making a lot of money off of human bondage. Right. That is very unsettling, uh, not just to the average American, but to historians who have seen their job as protecting that founding narrative. The difference is, you know, when you're black in this country, you don't have the luxury of pretending that that history didn't exist. And right. what that history has done is really marginalized our story um, when really the story of black people and slavery is central to the uh, United States. When you, when you worked through this project, there are new pieces of information you discover. There, there are stories that you find were never told that need to be told. And I know you can't write about everything, but I was interested in whether or not you would think that other countries who are involved in slavery get off easier than the United States because the one thing they did differently to America as we know it is that they sort of outsourced slavery. You know, if you think about whether it was the Americas or Spain or many of these other colonial nations, their slaves were in yeah. countries and then they left those countries and were like, we're done with slavery, but they also don't have to deal with the people they enslaved, whereas America has an interesting relationship where you have to deal with the people because they're still here. So not to, not, just, not to feel sorry for America, but do you think there's also a reckoning that should happen in this way in Europe maybe? Oh, for sure. All the colonial powers need to have a reckoning. And reckoning also needs to happen on the continent of Africa. But I, I think the fundamental difference, there's two, yes. Uh, slavery occurred in the bounds of the country that would become America. Right. Um, but also of those Colonial powers, America's the only country that was founded on the idea of individual rights and liberties. Interesting. That was founded on the idea of God-given inalienable rights. Um, none of those other European, I mean, these were monarchies. They weren't founded on the idea that every person had equal rights, but we were. So that hypocrisy really matters. And um, of course, I argue that that hypocrisy is why we have struggled so much to get over and address the issue of slavery, because it forces us to acknowledge this lie at our founding. Before you go, one of the main questions many people may have, and you see this unfortunately all too often, is people saying, why do you have to keep trudging this up? Can't we just move on? It's been 400 years now. Can't we just move on? What do you hope would be sparked by the conversations that come from a magazine that delves into slavery like this? What, what, do, you, what do you want someone who sits at home and says, they go, Nicole, I'm, I'm white and I, I had nothing to do with this and I don't know what you want me to do. What would you hope people take away? Uh, that's a great question. Let me just say, for the record, nobody wants to get over slavery more than black folks. Uh, it is not... <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's not to our benefit, right? So the, the fact that our nation can't get over slavery has not benefited black people for a single day. But that's the problem. We've never dealt with the harm that was done. I'm 43 years old, and my father was born into a Mississippi where black people couldn't vote, black people couldn't use public facilities. That was all perfectly legal. We're not far removed from this past at all. And there's never been uh, any effort to redress that harm. So what I hope that people will take from the magazine, every single story in the magazine starts with America today mm -hmm. and shows how these things about American life that you think are unrelated to slavery actually are. And I hope by confronting that truth, maybe we can finally start to repair the harm that was done and then finally uh, start to live up to be the country of our ideals. It's a fantastic job, fantastic magazine. Really wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much. Keep listening to Black Focus Radio for more dynamic black facts, our culture, our history, our people on joinnetradio.com. And if you would like to sponsor Dynamic Black Facts, give me a call at 615-554-0568. That was Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, the primary author of the 1619 Project on The Daily Show. Excellent, excellent interview by Trevor Noah, who does a fabulous job on keeping us laughing and keeping us informed. And The Daily Show has been doing a great job in that for quite some time now. But I, I wanted to play that because I think a lot of you out there are wondering, what the hell is 1619? Why are they talking about that? What was to See, if you don't know what the 1619 Project is, when Tom Cotton came out and made those asinine statements, then you won't understand what he's talking about, okay? Because he made an ass out of himself. Let's just be realistic about that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Tom Cotton and his lineage to show you why a lot of these white people who claim that they don't benefit from slavery they're still benefiting from slavery every day. And Tom Cotton is one of them. Okay? 855-525-5683 is the number. That's how you get in touch with me. You can also hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Appreciate everybody joining us. Make sure you are sharing the show today. Robert Webb is out. We are going to talk about Umbrella Man in just a moment, but I want to use this segment to talk a little bit about education and not the education that we typically talk about, but I want to, I want to do some crowing for three young ladies, okay? Two of them are identical twins, and their success was such that it elicited hate mail. <laughs> okay, so let's start with them. And then I'm gonna talk a little bit about a young lady from Little Rock, a graduate from Little Rock Central who is currently attending Georgia Tech. But here are two black twins, uh, the Sproul twins as they call themselves. Uh, they graduated high school, the family celebrated their accomplishments by putting posters of the girls in front of their home. We've been seeing that a lot, certainly under the coronavirus pandemic. We've been seeing billboards and all kinds of things 
Last week, the family discovered that someone had left a racist letter in their mailbox asking them to take down the image. David Sproul was furious when he came home from work on Thursday of last week to find a nasty letter in his mailbox written by his identical, written about his identical twin daughters, uh, Zana and Zara. As he began reading the letter aloud to his wife, Toya, she thought he must be joking. The letter read, don't you think enough is enough? It's time to take those hideous pictures of the ugly black girl down. I thought he was kidding because he's a comedian, Tanya Sproul said. He was like, I wouldn't joke and say that about them. And I snatched the letter and I'm like, oh, I called the police right away. Zana and Zara just graduated from Uli High School in their Jacksonville, Florida suburb with straight A's. The girls were highly involved in their school members of the and uh, at their school and members of the National Honor Society and held leadership roles such as section leader in the marching band. The letter went on to call the Sproles a disgrace to the neighborhood and asked the family to consider moving to your hood to a hood of your kind. The letter ends with your neighbors are watching you. Now, I'm going to read the letter. It's typewritten. Here's what it says. It says, don't you think enough is enough? It's time to take those hideous posters of that ugly, fat, black girl down off your house. What a, de- what a disgrace to the neighborhood. In fact, your entire brood is a disgrace to the neighborhood. Consider moving to a hood of your kind. Your neighbors are watching you. The Nassau County Sheriff's Department responded to the incident, saying, we at the Nassau County Sheriff's Office do not tolerate racism, hate. Uh, come on, I'm so sick of those, those canned phrases. The office, all, the office also said they are investigating the matter and offered the Sproul twins congratulations for their accomplishment. The twins took the letter in stride and are highly aware of the current racial climate and the Black Lives Matter movement. They, they kind of just threw the letter down and went about their way, said their dad. Sproul also said the twins hold each other accountable and push one another to do the best academically. Each of them will attend Florida State Leo University in the fall on a four-year pre-med scholarship. Let me say that again. Those two black sisters that those white racists attack are, by the way, scholars. They are attending Florida State's Leo University this fall on pre-med scholarships. In days since the letter was spread online, the family has received significant support from the community and a drive-by parade is scheduled later on in the week. How could you be so evil? That, that, that tells you about the evil of racism, that here are two young black women who are excellent, excellent students who are going into pre-med and you're going to leave them a racist letter. Un
unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let me say that again. Unbelievable. But again, this is racism. This is how they function. And then you don't even have the uh, you don't even have the 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 courage since you're so Billy badass. You don't even have the courage to confront this family face to face. You're gonna put a letter in their mailbox. What a piece of crap! I'm gonna tell you. So sisters, Zara and Zana, Sproles, y'all keep up the great work because it will be black and brown bodies that's going to lead this country into the future. Whether white people like it or not, whether the racists like it or not, you will be thanking them because I guarantee you that quite possibly one of your relatives might need them to perform surgery to keep them from dying. One other story that I just love. College student lands summer intern with NASA working on the Mars 2020 project. Now, you heard me talk about the Mars 2020 project the other day. Now, I believe the launch is tomorrow. And they had a pre-launch on Monday evening, and I watched it. And come to find out that one of the people that is working on this project is a Little Rock native. As a matter of fact, she's a graduate of hell to the old gold, hell to the black, hell alma mater, nor does she lack. That's right. She is a graduate of Little Rock Central. Okay. So proud of her. All right. Brianna Ivy is her name. Graduated from Central in 2017 and wants to set the example for younger students as she pursues her engineering dreams. When I was a younger, when I was younger, I knew I wanted to build things. That's all I knew. I didn't know what that meant in terms of a job because I didn't see anyone look like me doing the things that I thought were interesting. In other words, Brianna Ivy is currently at Georgia Tech and she is working this summer on the Mars 2020 rover project. That is just wonderful. She discovered her love for math and science at Central in the IB program. I've had a lot of teachers and coaches put me in positions to challenge myself. And in doing that, I've had to take classes like physics and IB math and AP statistics. And those are classes that really challenge you in high school settings. She took the skills to Georgia Tech. This summer, she's interning with NASA. The goal of the rover is to discover past life, signs of life on Mars, and the way it does that it is, that is it uses a robotic arm to drill holes into the surface, catch geological samples, and save them for, for a later return mission. 
So one of the capabilities of the rover is it should be able to set a goal with some user input. I'm just making sure the math is right and the computer for the rover. I mean, on the computer for the rover. So let, let, me, let me continue this story. I, I'm going to tell you, because some of you all don't know what she's doing. This girl, she couldn't be no more than, I, let me take that back. This young lady is no more, let's say it's 20, so she could have been no more than 20 or 21 years old, okay? She said, my job is to make sure that the information that the computer sends back is correct and matches what we expect it to be. Ivy says that Perseverance Rover's launch date is scheduled for the end of the month, but may be pushed back. She's grateful for the experience. Being able to impact people and see people be inspired by me just following my dreams and working hard, that really means a lot to me. The internship lasts until August 7th. Ivy was supposed to be working on-site at NASA's JPL, that's the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. Instead, she's working remotely from home because of COVID-19. Ivy is about to start her senior year at Georgia Tech. She plans to get a graduate degree in electrical engineering and hopes to work full time for NASA. So let, let me explain to you because I'm, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm a geek. I'm a space geek. If it's about space, I'm going to watch it. Okay. Even if it's a movie, if it, even if it's, uh, see, you say I'm, I'm, I'm about to lose my mind even talking about this right now. Even if it's a, Something stupid. I watch it, okay? Because I've been, I've loved space for such a long time. At one point, wanted to be the first black astronaut to ever walk in space. Obviously, I didn't make that. But I've been a space junkie for decades. I'm a nerd. And what Ivy is doing, you, if you have not been following the Mars Rover Project, and this has been going on for eight, nine years now. We've already landed two rovers on Mars already. And they have been sending back pictures. They've been sending back uh, 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 diagnoses of soil samples and all of these things. And this young lady who is 20 years old, who is just now becoming a senior at Georgia Tech, who was a graduate from the great Little Rock Central High School, my high school, is responsible for this rover sending back the right information. So that means that there are thousands and thousands of mathematical calculations that had to be put together that she probably had to check and make sure that they were correct. And the information that we're going to be getting back from this rover, it's just simply, I mean, she's responsible for it. I know I sound excited because I am. And you should be too. This is the future. Just like I was talking about the black twins, the Sproles, Zara and Zana. They are the future. Black-skinned people are the future of America. And if white people want this country to survive, if they want their children to survive, then 
in the future, they're going to be overly dependent on black and brown bodies. So what the hell are y'all doing treating black people the way you treat them? I'm proud. Look, I'm proud of Miss Ivy. I I just wanted to throw that out there. Because here's the other thing. Who says that black people can't do math? Who says black people can't do science? Just remember all of the great scientific breakthroughs that black people have done over the years. By the way, it was black women who helped. If it wasn't for them, we might not have ever made it to the moon. Remember, if it wasn't for them, Katherine Jackson, we might not have ever made it to the moon. In fact, Katherine Jackson was so smart that the astronauts wanted her to make sure that Catherine was on the program to make sure that those calculations was right. They weren't comfortable with anyone else except Catherine Jackson and her crew. Hello? So hats off to this young sister, Brianna Ivey, for making it happen. And to you black people out there who think that black people don't do math so you don't even try, I've told you over and over again that black people were the creators of mathematics. A counting stick, the first of its kind, one believed to be the first calculator of its kind, was found in sub-Sahara. That's how they were able to cut those stones in sub-Sahara to precise measurements. See, we get, we, we get caught up in believing that all of the pyramids are only in Egypt. But the pyramids in sub-Sahara Africa, in Sudan and places like that, predate the pyramids in Egypt. Hello? Let me say that again. The pyramids in sub-Sahara Africa predate the pyramids that were in Egypt. Woo. Man, that just, that's some information. I mean, that's a great way to start a show. Okay? And speaking of which, we're going to take a break. When we return, we got some more information about your boy Tom Cotton and Umbrella Man and all of those people. It's called Black Focus Radio. Our issues, our solutions, our voices. Join me daily right here on joinedradio.com 12 to 2. We'll be back in a flash.
Hey, have you heard of COVID-19? Yeah, but I heard black people can't get it, so I'm good. Well, that's absolutely not true, and everyone is at risk of getting and spreading COVID-19. I'm curious, what else have you heard? I'm almost embarrassed to say, but I hear if you spray bleach all over your body, you can kill the viruses that have already entered your body. Wow, that's also not true. Truth is, there's no way to kill the virus because there's currently no cure. What you can do is take preventative measures and wash your hands regularly, practice social distancing, stay home if you're sick, and clean and disinfect frequently touched surfaces. Noted. One more thing. So if I get the flu shot, that won't stop me from getting COVID-19? Correct. Flu shot can't protect you from the flu. If you do begin to develop symptoms of COVID-19 like fever, dry cough, shortness of breath, call your doctor and find out if you should get tested. For more ways on how you can protect yourself and your family from COVID-19, visit ARMinorityHealth.com. Arkansas Minority Health Commission. Your health, our priority. Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Joshua McClain, the Neighborhood Insurance Man. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, Mr. McClain. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Right now, I'm just concerned about our community. There are so many people losing their lives right now due to COVID-19. I'm finding out nobody has a burial plan and struggling to pay for their burial. We have a program with no money down. No money down? No money down. And it's set up on your social security billing. It's set up on your payday. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. Do this for me, you know. Go ahead and share my number with somebody, okay? It's 1-800-674-2709. You said 1-800-674-2709? Yes. And also, we just got a website came out. It's www.umbrellahelp.com. That's www.umbrellahelp.com? Yes. Great. I'll be more than happy to share this with my neighbors. The Septima Clark Community Power Institute is an annual summer program that provides young people between the ages of 13 and 19 years old the opportunity to participate in and lead workshops, critical discussions, community outreach, research activities, and much more. Septima Poinsett Clark left a rich legacy. She is considered a pioneer in grassroots citizenship engagement and was even referred to as the mother of the movement. In fact, Septima Clark mentored Rosa Parks months before the Montgomery Bus Boycott. She also helped create the citizenship schools all over the South. The SCCPI combines education and hands-on real-world application to develop leadership skills and civic engagement in young people while tracking current and relevant issues. For more information, visit www.projectsouth.org. All right, welcome back to the show. We got about nine minutes to go in this segment. Shout out to people from Ridley Park, Pennsylvania who are listening. Denver, Colorado. Little Rock, Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. Those are all of my old stomping grounds. BB, Arkansas. Hot Springs. How y'all doing? I told y'all we have people listening from all over the country, and we really appreciate that listenership. And we are trying to grow it, and that's little conversation I had with you at the beginning of the show, this is the example of that. 
So I can go out and look and see where people are listening from in a lot of cases. So this quick segment, I want to talk about Umbrella Man. All right. And we might move it over to the next segment as well, next hour. But, you know, with the passing of John Lewis, one thing that we need to think about is during his, his tenure, his rise to notoriety is the fact that he participated in a movement that literally changed this country. And in doing so, those were not just people who decided, hey, let's go march. Yeah, yeah, let's, let, let's, let's go march. Yeah, let, yeah, yeah, let, let's go march. No, that's not what we're going to do. Yeah, we're going to march. We're going to protest. But what we're really going to do is make sure that we, that we plan this, that we plan the work and we work the plan. So they knew everybody that was in their crews, SNCC, SCLC, NAACP, Black Panthers, you name it. You name it, CORE. They knew all of the people that were in their organizations. So when they went out to march, they needed to make sure that the people that were in their groups were going to Abide by their tenets. And that was nonviolence. No matter what you did, no matter what people said you did, you must, or no matter what they did to you, you had to make sure that you did not retaliate. It was important. It was important. So they had trainings. They taught people how to deal with people pouring milkshakes on your head or blowing smoke in your face. All of those things that were needed to prostitute, or I should say prosecute a movement and for it to be successful. One of the things or one of one of the criticisms that I've had with these this new movement with BLM is that they seem to have no compass. Now, let me be clear with you. I support them 100 percent. I'm like, you know, I'm like Dave Chappelle. I'm too old to be out there marching with you. And if it comes to that, eventually I will. But right now, I'm just going to ride in the back seat, riding shotgun with you. I hope that's okay. All right? And I think it is. I think it is. So the reason I'm bringing this up, because you can learn from the past. And I've heard so many young people they're so angry that we are still fighting these battles that many of them feel that their black ancestors who marched in the 60s betrayed them. They dropped the ball. To some, to some respect, I would agree. 
But I think those people during that time did everything that they knew to do in which they felt would move this this country to an area of equality. What they didn't what they didn't really take into account was the the I guess the inbreded racism that was in this country that was that would lie dormant and wait for its time to rear its head. And not only that, even with the things that were going on during that time period, during that time period, those races had already begun to try and undermine any of the movement's successes that had been achieved. Okay? So I say this to say, what I'm about to, to say as it relates to this story. What we know is there have been a lot of people infiltrating these marches, these Black Lives Matter marches. And one that stood out to me in video that I saw was a black-cladded, umbrella-toting man with something that looked like a wrench that was breaking windows and setting fire at an auto zone. If you saw some of the early videotape, you saw this video. And there were people who even approached this guy and asked him, who was he? Who, who are you? What are you doing? And the guy eventually ran off. Now, what has been said now, and let me just read you a couple of graphs from this story from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. This was the first fire set off a string of fires and looting throughout the precinct and the rest of the city. Sergeant Erica Christensen wrote in a search warrant affidavit filed in court this week, until the actions of the persons you're at, you're, you're a fan has been called Umbrella Man. The protest had been relatively peaceful. The actions of this person created an atmosphere of hostility and tension. Your affiant believes that this individual's role, so lame, was to incite violence. Police identified Umbrella Man thanks to a tip that came via email last week. The Star Tribune could not independently verify the police account, which has so far only surfaced in the search warrant and isn't naming the man because so far he has not been charged with the crime. The man, who has a criminal history that includes convictions of domestic violence and assault, did not respond to messages seeking comment. Spokesmen for the Minneapolis Police Department and ATF which is also involved in the investigation, declined comment. Now, here's what many people believe Umbrella Man or who he's associated with. Let me read you the title of the article. Minneapolis police say Umbrella Man was a white supremacist 
trying to incite George Floyd rioting. In other words, this was a white supremacist who had infiltrated marchers, who was breaking windows and setting fires in order to blame Black Lives Matter, hoping to create a riot. Think about that. I've got more to say about this on the other side as we take the break. You're listening to Black Focus Radio. Our issues, our solutions, our voices on joinetradio.com. Hey, have you heard of COVID-19? Yeah, but I heard black people can't get it. Who or you or your loved one? The law offices of James F. Swindoll provides our clients the personal care and attention that larger law firms cannot offer. Our experienced attorneys have brought hundreds of cases to verdict in state and federal court and recovered millions for our clients. If you or a loved one have been injured or have property wrongfully damaged, we may be able to help. Do not hesitate to contact our firm anytime for a free attorney consultation. Call 1-800-848-1290. That's 1-800-848-1290. Or email inquiries at arkansas-personal-injury.com. Our law offices are centrally located at 212 Center Street in Little Rock. That's the law offices of James F. Swindoll. Personal injury and products liability attorneys serving Arkansas since 1977. Hello to quality time at Marco's. Hello to the best part of the day and to making someone else's. Say hello to late nights and to the best night ever. These are the primo moments, and they call for Italian quality pizza. Dough made from scratch every day. Sauce with a history in the making from the original Giamarco recipe. Say hello to an authentic favorite. Every store, every day, the Italian way. Hello, primo. It's time. Many of us can no longer afford to stay at home. We have to go back to work. We need the PPE protective personal equipment to keep us safe from coronavirus. Habibis is very, very pleased to say that they've been able to acquire some face shields, face masks, hand sanitizers, digital thermometers for checking the temperature at the forehead, of course, gloves to protect you since you've got to go back. Please get your emergency supply today. Don't be caught with tissue paper mask and thin gloves that will expose you to the coronavirus. Check out our websites. We have two websites. One is GoHHM or Habibi's Home Medical dot com or habibismedical.com. There you can find all of these products with listed prices. You can order directly online and pick up at the store if you like, or we ship all across the state and around the world. I'm Rizal Aaron. We invite you to join us for the Power of Justice broadcast every Tuesday and Thursday from 11 a.m. till 12 noon right here at JoyNet Radio Studios where we talk about issues concerning civil rights, human rights, social justice, and all of the areas that impact civil rights and human rights in Arkansas, but also across the country. Tell a neighbor, tell a friend, every Tuesday and Thursday, right here at JoyNet Radio, beautiful downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. We look forward to seeing you on the radio. You got it. England and Eastern Rock's answer to your aggravation. Oh, no. 
Joy Network. Now. The views and opinions expressed today on Black Focus Radio are not the views and opinions of the station, its management, or its advertisers. Now, let's get ready to focus on our issues, our solutions, using our voices on Black Focus Radio. Welcome to Black Focus, the show designed with our community in mind, where we focus on our issues, developing our solutions using our voices. Central Arkansas, surrounding areas, and the nation. Get ready. Black Focus starts right now. Phone lines open at 855-525-5683. So here's your host, David W. Coleman and Robert Webb. All right, welcome back to the second hour of the show of Black Focus Radio. Robert Webb is out today. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about this hour, as we usually do. 855-525-5683 is the number. That's how you get in touch with me if you want to join the show. Tons of stuff to talk about. We see you Franklin, North Carolina, Denver, Colorado, BB, Arkansas, Hot Springs, Appreciate you listening to the show. Last hour, we talked a little bit about Umbrella Man. Now, that's not some movie that's out there. It is actually a name that was dubbed to, uh, given to a, um, a violent protester in Minneapolis during the George Floyd protest. Now, I started, I ended last hour talking about Umbrella Man because police have identified him now as a Ku Klux Klanman, a white supremacist. And what we know is there are white supremacists who are trying to create enough animosity to create a race war. Now, there are a number of reasons why they think that a race war will solve their problems. In fact, it won't. It will even make America worse. But that's neither here nor there. The point I was trying to make about Black Lives Matter and their protest today is that you all need to start listening to people. You all need to start listening to people who have been in the movement, who understands how to do a protest. And you all need to get to know the people that are going to be in your group, who's going to be protesting with you. Because as I said, the groups that did the protesting in the 60s, SELC, SNCC, CORE, NAACP, all of those groups knew the majority of their people. And they also made sure that they had people watching so there would not be others who got out of line that would denigrate the movement. So going forward, when you make these protests, because see, some of the things that may be going on in Portland, some of the people that are doing some of the violence in Portland may be white supremacists. Umbrella Man proves that to us. They may be white supremacists. And you might think that they're marching lock, stock, and barrel, and they done learn your chants and, and your songs, and you're like, yeah, he's for us. He's, here's a white guy for us. And then all of a sudden, this person becomes violent. He starts breaking out police car windows. He starts breaking store windows and setting things afire. 
Those are white supremacists. See, those are the anarchists that Donald Trump and his ilk are talking about. In fact, those are the, the reason they know they are anarchists because they know who they are. Hello? So all I'm saying to when you are developing a march, when you want to have a march, you might want to do some meetings beforehand, okay? And then when you get on site, you see, here's the thing. Who are your core group? Who are they? Those are the ones that you ought to be meeting with. And those are the ones that you ought to be, be giving assignments that your group is going to watch this. Your group is going to watch and see if we have any violent protesters. We're going to take pictures and we're going to turn those people in because you don't want violent protesters to be sullying up with the marches of BLM because BLM, those are not violent protesters. But we know now and we've known for some time, this is not new. Umbrella Man just happens to be identified. But this is not new that white supremacists are infiltrating your ranks and sowing seeds of violence on the street, and it's making BLM look bad. So y'all got to do a better job of vetting your protesters, your participants in your marches. Now, you're probably saying, well, we can't vet everybody. You're right. Sometimes these marches are huge. But that's where you get people inside your organization, 20 to 30 people, to disperse throughout the march, march up front, then turn around and march to the back. Now, you're not marchers. You're just people who are observing. And when you observe a person that is doing something out of the ordinary, like breaking out windows, setting fire to police vehicles, those are the people that need to be identified. Because if you don't do that, then it sullies your movement and it sullies your message. And it plays into the hands of Donald Trump and his ilk by saying, see, see they're violent. We need to stop them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect your homes. We must go the extra mile in showing that we are nonviolent. Now, let me be clear. That doesn't mean that you don't protect yourself. That doesn't mean that you don't, protect, you don't purchase a weapon. That doesn't mean that you don't carry a weapon if you need be. but you just need to make sure that they're not outside agitators that are coming into your organization and into your marches and doing things illegally because the first thing, the first fingers are going to be pointed at BLM. But apparently now they've, they've captured umbrella man. And that's funny because Sounds like some some secret code or something. But it isn't. It's secret, all right. And see, here's the thing. We probably wouldn't be in this predicament 
if the FBI and COINTELPRO has spent as much time on the KKK and white supremacists as they did on Martin Luther King and those organizations, we wouldn't be in this predicament today. As a matter of fact, had the FBI been doing what they were supposed to do all along, infiltrating the KKK and breaking them down from the inside out the way they did black people back in the 60s, the KKK would be literally non-existent today. And quite possibly, this race question would have been answered. Another form of systemic racism. That you are so afraid of black people getting rights that it's okay for white people to be racist. Yeah. So I'm glad they caught that bum. I'm glad they caught that bum. Now, we talked a little bit about the 1619 Project earlier in the show. That was actually our black fact. So let me let me read this, this story. Tom Cotton's slave-owning an- ancestors. Tom Cotton's family owned slaves. See, so... Here's the thing. You hear a lot of white people say, well, I didn't have, I didn't, my family didn't own slaves. I didn't have anything to do with slaves. Now, we know that white people still benefit from slavery. But now we, someone has went and checked Tom Cotton's genealogy. So Tom Cotton can't make that argument. He can't make that argument. So, Let's just take a quick look at Tom Cotton's genealogy. All right. The article says Tom Cotton feels very strongly that the 1619 Project should not be used to teach kids. He has sponsored a bill that cuts funding to using the 1619 Project to teach kids. Is an ulterior motive for Tom Cotton to not want anyone to learn the truth about slavery? If we dig into records of slave ownership, we can see that Tom Cotton's family owned slaves. Hello. In 1741, the earliest relative, John Cotton, died. In his will, he bequeathed enslaved persons to his children. He had at least five enslaved children or enslaved people. Another version of the will, and there's a will on this article. Two generations later, Thomas Cotton says, I give and bequeath to my nine children, Mary Cryer, Moore, uh, Moore Cotton, Letha Cotton, John Cotton, Alan Cotton, Sarah Cotton, Arthur Cotton, Noah Cotton, and, Sarah, and Sanders Cotton, all my Negroes and all my full stock 
of all kind and all my household furniture and perishable property of every kind to be equally divided among my nine children before mentioned at the death of my wife, Priscilla. Thomas, Thomas's son, Arthur Cotton, seems to have moved to Tennessee during his lifetime with an, an inheritance of an unknown number of enslaved persons. Arthur's son, Jesse Hackney Cotton, appears on the records. Jesse's wife's family and Tom Cotton ancestor, Francis Ryan, has been listed in the 1850 tax list of Drake's Creek section, Simpson County, Kentucky, page 81 as owning 180 acres of land and seven slaves. Francis Ryan's daughter, Rebecca, married Jesse Hackney Cotton in 1842. In 1859, Jesse and Rebecca moved to Yale County, Arkansas, according to the 1860 census. Jesse Cotton owned 12 slaves. Prior to 1831, Yale County, Arkansas, was home to Cherokee, Choctaw, Osage, and Cato nations. However, under Andrew Jackson's Indian Removal Act, citizens of these nations were forcibly relocated. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. That means that not only did the Cottons own slaves, they helped participate in the Trail of Tears. So they got a double whammy on their family. Based on the Homestead Act in 1870, Jesse applied for land, a land grant from the federal government. The U.S. Department of Interior Bureau and Land Management chose the Homestead Certificate number 1886, application 8267, for 40 acres of land at the Dardanelle, Arkansas Land Office, land entry file AR1970.489. He was given title to this land that was taken from the First Nations shortly thereafter. Jesse and Rebecca had 12 children. Rebecca died while birth, giving birth to the 13th child. Their oldest son, Leonard Ryan Cotton, was a soldier for the Confederacy. We're beginning to understand Tom Cotton a little bit better now, aren't we? We know this because in 1915, Leonard Ryan Cotton applied for a pension as an ex-Confederate soldier. Leonard Ryan Cotton died in 1920. Thomas James Cotton, Leonard Ryan Cotton's son, lived in this house, which has been named a historical home since 2001. They're showing a house in this article. Both Leonard Ryan's sons and grandson owned multiple cotton gins. It is also possible that they did not pay the cotton gin employees in cash as they set up a commissary for their employees. 
it was standard practice to pay in company script. Thomas Cotton Sr. and Jr., grandson and great-grandsons of James Hackney Cotton, were former landowners, farmers, businessmen who owned cotton gins in Dardanelle, Atkins, and Pottsville. They also opened a commissary for their employees and were considered to be honest and caring men, quoted as saying, we are put here on earth to help our fellow man, and if we do not, we are a sorry lot. Wow. How can you say that and you own slaves? But boy, this, this is the antithesis. Even if you believe that, it is the antithesis of Tom Cotton today. Thomas Cotton Sr. and his son, Thomas Cotton Jr., were avid sportsmen who raised fine bird dogs, many dignitaries from Little Rock area, and as far away as Pennsylvania, visited and were entertained in the Cotton home when they came to Yale County to hunt game. More. With these skeletons in his closet, Tom Cotton does not want people to learn the truth about slavery. Surprisingly, he calls the 1619 Project a neo-Marxist propaganda. Since Tom Cotton doesn't want you to know this family on slave-owning past, please do your job and troll him. Send this to Tom Cotton. Retweet it to Tom Cotton. But here's the other problem that Tom, Tom Cotton and his ilk face. And this is, I said this yesterday, and I believe it to be true. A lot of these white people don't want you to know that their relatives own slaves. For a long time, to give you an example, we know now that, and we've known for some time, that Thomas Jefferson and many of the founding fathers owned slaves. You've heard me delineate the number of slaves many of those founding fathers owned. And for a long time, the people at Monticello, which is Tom Thomas Jefferson's home refused to acknowledge the slaves, the descendants of Thomas Jefferson, who were fathered by Sally Hemings. The reason that they refused to acknowledge, now they are acknowledging it, some of it, and I read a story the other day where they, one of the white relatives on Thomas Jefferson's side has embraced their past and have said how horrible it was and was glad to meet the black side of the family and have become great friends with those black family members. But see, a lot of those people who have benefited from the legacy of Thomas Jefferson, a lot of those people have made money off of Jefferson. And they are in fear that the black slave descendants of Thomas Jefferson is going to come asking for their money. They're going to come asking for their 40 acres and a mule. And rightfully so. They deserve it. The same with Tom Cotton. See, there's an ulterior motive. 
in what Tom Cotton is trying to do. And he can lie and pretend all he wants. But his family's legacy and their wealth is now under scrutiny. Or at least it should be. Because, see, white people don't want to admit that slavery happened. This is why they try to erase it from the history books. This is why so many of them are coming out. We just talked about a story last week where some lady at a Mississippi uh, at a Mississippi event where they were discussing taking down the racist symbols that represent the old South. And you heard this before, had the unmitigated gall. In fact, I believe Michelle Bachman, who was in Congress at one point, made made this statement that, yeah, they were slaves, but they were clothed. They were fed well, and they were treated nice. And if you believe that, I got a bridge to sell you in Little Rock. Anybody believe that slavery, people being kept against their will, was nice? The adjective that I want to use, I can't because I'm on the radio. But it's not a pretty one. Okay? So there, this is why you're having this, when you talk about revisionist history, the revisionist history has been perpetrated on the American people by white people. That's what's going on. That's why they're afraid. Because what potentially could end up happening is, wait a minute, you made money off of black people. You need to pay black people this lost cause mess. Speaking of which, GOP Alabama lawmaker goes to a KKK leader birthday event. Why would you do that? Showing support for the Confederacy. Will Dismukes has been criticized by Republicans and Democrats for his Facebook post over the weekend where he revealed he attended an annual birthday celebration of Nathan Bedford Forrest at Fort Dixie in Selma, Alabama. Hmm. These people are not going to let it go, folks. The event honoring Forrest took place on the same day that a service for the late representative John Lewis was being held in Selma. You get the irony there? The civil rights icon who was severely injured during a march at the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Selma. So this is basically him spitting on the grave and the legacy of John Lewis. Representative Al- uh, Re- uh, Republican Alabama State Representative Danny Garrett said he cannot fathom why anyone would want to celebrate the birthday of the first KKK Grand Wizard. This is a Republican who's saying this. And while the body of the civil rights icon beaten by, a Klan, by the Klan lies in state, 
at the state capitol being honored by Democrats and Republican leaders all over the state. This mentality does not rep my party, represent my party, or my faith. Republican Alabama Senator Clyde Shamless said in a statement, he has a policy of not criticizing elected officials, but is making an exception for Dismukes, adding he needs to resign immediately. He does not represent my views or my views or the views of the vast majority of the people in District 88, said Chambliss. The post is bad enough. The timing is even worse. But the real problem is that an elected official in 2020 would attend a celebration of the life of someone who led a group that terrorized and killed human beings. Speaking of WSFA, Dismuke dismissed the calls for him to resign and said the recent death of John Lewis wasn't even running through my mind when he made the post on Facebook. I guess with an anti-Southern sentiment and all and things that we have gone on in the world today, there's a lot of people that are seeming to be more and more offended. We live in a time where we literally are going through Cancel culture from all different areas, and people are even more sensitive on direct, different issues and different subjects. No, dude, that dog ain't gonna hunt right there. You can try to pretend this has nothing to do with some cancel culture. You you purposely posted that picture on your Facebook page, and you still didn't address the the issue. of why you would attend a birthday party for Nathan Bedford Forrest. Dismuk also faced calls to step down last month after publicly expressing support for continuing state funding for the Confederate Memorial Park in Marbury. Dismuk also uploaded a photo to Facebook earlier this year of him standing in front of a Confederate flag wearing a shirt with a Confederate flag patch while celebrating Confederate Flag Day. In a statement, Alabama Democratic Party Executive Director Wade Perry once again called for the extremist dismukes to resign over the post about Flores. Forrest. Well, he's not going to resign. Okay. But again, here we are again, girls and boys. There are black people running around thinking that everything is hunky-dory. And it isn't. It isn't. You see, part of the reason a lot of these white people are fighting so voraciously with trying not to pay reparations because it's an apology. And once that official apology has been made, it will open the door, the floodgates for all kinds of lawsuits. Because I'm going to tell you, one of the things that I'm doing is researching my family. I found out that part of my family came from South Carolina. There is a graveyard down near Warren, Arkansas, that represents black slaves who migrated from South Carolina to Warren, Arkansas in that area. 
And I've been told that some of them are named Coleman. And my family here in Arkansas came from Warren, Arkansas, that area, the Coleman's. And you don't think I'm going to sue your asses? I'm going to sue you so hard that your skin going to fall off. I want mine. And I might not be able to enjoy it. I might be 80 years old, but I guarantee you my grandchildren are going to enjoy the fruits, the fruits of my ancestors' labors just like you enjoyed the fruits of my ancestors' labors. Tom Cotton, Mitch McConnell, and many of you other white supremacists who benefited from slavery. 855-525-5683. Hats off to Tuskegee Institute. They have just received a $20 million uh, donation from Mackenzie Scott. Mackenzie Scott is a philanthropist, and she's the ex-wife of Amazon billionaire Jeff Bezos. She gifted Tuskegee $20 million on Tuesday, the largest donation in the, historic, in the historically black university's history. Thank you, Miss Scott. And after all, she got it. How much money did she get when she divorced Jeff Bezos? A whole damn lot. Well, let me hear. Well, here we go. Scott is the second richest woman in the world who ranks 22nd on Forbes' billionaire list with a net worth of $36 billion and pledged to give at least half of her assets to charity over her lifetime. There you go. We'll show take it. And congratulations to Tuskegee. All right, there are a couple of other things that I'm probably going to take the rest of the hour to talk about that I think are important. And let me just make sure that I cover everything because I'm going to take the rest of this hour to talk about Donald Trump and his quack doctors. Okay? And how you all need to be careful. I've told you over and over again that you need to stop. Oh, well, look at there. Louis Goldman has tested positive for the coronavirus from Texas. I can't say I feel sorry for you. Let me say that again. Can't say I feel sorry for you. Can you breathe, Louis? I'm just saying. But what I want to do is I want to play you a clip from a from the a press conference that was held, I believe it was yesterday, as a matter of fact, about, because see, this whole thing about the coronavirus is a hoax. Uh, uh, the, there's this drug out there that, that can be used, hydroxychlorophyll or whatever it is, can be used to, you know that mess about the drug that was going on. So I want to play a little bit of this, this, um, this um, press conference and let you hear the results of your president. All right. Here we go. Now, while that's loading, let me uh, 
set this up again. You're about to hear a little bit of a press conference that was by a CNN reporter. Her name was Caitlin Collins, who asked the president about this fake doctor who's claiming that she can cure COVID-19. And it's a hoax. Here we go. Great doctor. In that video that you retweeted last night said that masks don't work and there is a cure for COVID-19, both of which health experts say is not true. She's also made videos saying that doctors make medicine using DNA from aliens and that they're trying to create a vaccine to make you immune from becoming religious. Well, maybe it's the so, same, maybe it's not, but I, I can't, I can tell you this. She was on air along with many other doctors. They were big fans of hydroxychloroquine. And I thought she was very impressive in the sense that from where she came, I don't know which country she comes from, but she said that she's had tremendous success with hundreds of different patients. And I thought her voice was an important voice, but I know nothing about her. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Go ahead. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Caitlin, you were asking important questions, uh, uh, and even uh, some of the president's retweets overnight, uh, they were taken off Twitter, for example, because they were suggesting it's, there's no need to wear a mask, and they were suggesting hydroxychloroquine could potentially, quote, cure, cure coronavirus when there's absolutely no evidence of that. Well, not only that, the video was removed from Twitter, it was removed from Facebook, and it was removed from YouTube. Unfortunately, I've heard it been viewed millions of times, and that's because they said there was misinformation in those videos that were elevated by the president. And the one he was citing, there is a woman in the video, she identifies herself as a doctor, and well, she says that masks do not work, and she says there is a cure for COVID-19. Of course, two things that health experts have said is not true. And so I was asking the president about that. She's also made a host of bizarre other claims, including saying that scientists are trying to come up with a vaccine to prevent you from being religious, things of that nature. And so I asked the president what was the logic in elevating a post like that to 84 million followers of his on Twitter. And he was defending it. He was saying that he didn't know where the doctor was from, but he was talking about how she was citing her personal experience with hydroxychloroquine in patients. Though, of course, we don't actually know how that was used or anything like that. That's why the video was removed. But then also, Wolf, by the president retweeting that, it's contradicting what he has said in the last seven days, which is he was saying that people should be wearing masks, that they do work, and that they are helpful in stopping the spread of COVID-19. But as I was trying to ask that question, the president turned and left the briefing room. It's not clear why he would retweet something if he wasn't going to defend tweeting that. But it was just a question that many people have because, you know, is he going against the advice of his doctors and instead elevating the opinions of these other people that are not people who work in the administration? All right. So you heard it. Now, let me just give you let me let me just give you some 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 info on this doctor. The doctor's name is Dr. Stella Emanuel. She believes hydroxychloroquine works. Now, we know it doesn't. Not because I'm a doctor, not because I've done the research, not because I've done the trials. But because I trust other doctors, the you know, if there's an old saying, if one man calls you a fool, ignore him. If 10 men call you a fool, take heed. That's an old African proverb. And it's one that apparently Donald Trump and his ilk 
hasn't learned. So even if Dr. Stella Emanuel says that, hey, hydroxychloroquine has worked on my patients, then it is incumbent upon her to make sure that her files of those patients, the regiments of those patients, all of the, the, the background to those patients from the time that they were diagnosed with, with COVID-19, the, the, the treatment plans, it is incumbent upon you to make that stuff available for other doctors to review. Now, we know just in other tests, sans doctor, if she's a doctor, Emmanuel, that the majority of the doctors who have used hydroxychloroquine has said it does not work. In fact, it creates other problems within people, and many people are dying from using that drug. Dr. Stella also says that masks do not work, although we have seen that those cities, counties that have employed masks and people are using on a regular basis, in fact, they are helping to limit and mitigate the spread of COVID-19. We know that. That is documented evidence. So what the hell is this doctor talking about? Couple of other notes about this doctor. She claims that alien DNA is being used in medical treatments. And she says, as you heard Caitlin say, that they are trying to come up with a vaccine to keep you from being religious. So those people that are worshiping rocks and snakes, that vaccine might work for them. Yeah. And I got a house in the middle of the Atlantic to sell you. It's hurricane proof. Now think about this for a minute. Dr. Fauci, a man who studied infectious diseases for 50 years. And you've got a president who's saying, and his Republican ilk, who are saying they don't trust him. Yet, you have a president who is retweeting false stories about COVID-19 and a doctor of whom we don't even know she's a doctor. She's got on a white coat in the video that I saw. But not only is she pushing hydroxychloroquine, which we know doesn't work, but she's also saying you don't need a mask. She's also saying that alien DNA is used in medical treatments and they are, de- they are developing a, a, a vaccine, excuse me, a vaccine to keep you from being a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a snake charmer. Think about that. Juxtapose those two things. 
And think about what I've been telling you now for almost two months. Juxtapose, you've got a man that is the most, one of the most revered people in America right now in Dr. Anthony Fauci, who threw out the pitch last week for the Washington Nationals, who had a president who was so envious of the adoration that the people in America are showing to Dr. Fauci that in the press conference last week, y'all may have missed this. And it may have just slid under the radar because you're like, oh, okay, oh, okay. But Dr. Fauci on Thursday threw out the first pitch to the Washington Nationals. I believe it was on Friday that Donald Trump said that he had been contacted by the, 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 the New York Yankees to throw out the first pitch at a Yankees game. Come to find out that was a lie. You see, it should concern us all that a president can lie to the American people at the drop of a hat. Okay? Let me just, so just in case you think I'm kidding, you you think I'm lying, let, let, let me just play this. Because see, you can't lie about things that are just so rich as this president in buffoonery because it it makes no sense. Anyone that would lie at the drop of a hat the way this president does is dangerous. We already know that, but it has become more apparent than ever. Listen to this. Randy Levine's a great friend of mine from the Yankees. He asked me to throw out the first pitch, and I think I'm doing that on August 15th at Yankee Stadium. All right, it turns out that was a surprise to the president's staff and to the Yankees. Did you hear that? That was a surprise to the president. His own staff didn't know. Now, check this out. Trump has been so annoyed, this is according to the New York Times, Trump has been so annoyed by Dr. Fauci's turn in the limelight, an official familiar with his reaction said that he had directed his aides to call the Yankees and make good on a long-standing offer. Trump also went on to say that, why is it that everybody doesn't, so many people don't like me? Woe is me. Woe is me. So the reason I'm bringing this up in concert with this quack doctor, and I'm going to tell a lot of people who are on my friends list who have been posting about this quack doctor. You know, I'm pretty tolerant. Here's what I don't allow on my wall. I don't allow you post, I don't allow white supremacists. I don't allow uh, KKK people, any of those. 
And you know what? I'll even let you post, and then I'll show your ignorance and break you down, and then I'll delete you. The next person that posts some mess about this doctor or that the COVID-19 virus is a hoax, I will block you. I'm done. Uh, You know, we may be friends, but COVID-19 is not a hoax, girls and boys. It's not the flu. The flu is not worse than COVID-19. At last count, by the way, 150,000 Americans have died because of COVID-19. One of them, my friend. And although I have not heard, although I have not heard, but I think one of my other teammates in college, I think his son may have died from COVID-19. Stan Askew. Now, the point I'm trying to make here is that it is up to us as individuals to listen to people who knows what the hell they're talking about. Okay, let me let me let me break it down for you. How many of you have ever had your home remodeled? Did your brother-in-law do it? Did your cousin do it? Now, he may have if he was a contractor. Did you do it? Did your husband do it? No, you didn't. You may have helped him participate, but you ultimately had to consult a professional who knew what the hell they were doing in order to get what you needed done. That's in every walk of life that where we depend on professionals to give us sound advice, whether it's legal, whether it's medical, whether it's just every day, it's a car repairman, we pay money to people to give us sound advice about things that we don't know about. Give you an example. I write grants. People pay me to help them write grants. Give you another example. I am in IT. I worked for Dell for 15 years. People pay me to give them advice to help them in IT. I consult. They don't go to someone else. They don't go to their brother-in-law who don't know Jack about a computer. They go to professionals. So I'm making this plea to black people because we of all people, we are dying at a, at, higher rates from COVID-19 than other races of people. Hispanics are included in that. Native Americans are included in that. We don't have time to be listening to junk science. We don't have time to be listening to quacks like Stella Emanuel or Donald Trump or any of his ilk who refuses to look at science as a means to help us all. See, this whole two hours has been kind of 
bracketed with science. We started the show about science, and we talked about the young black woman from Little Rock Central who worked on the Mars 2020 project who is about to launch another lunar lander and rover into space to land on Mars. That's science. And here we are, way back at square one, dealing with people who don't get science because they couldn't complete a quadratic equation, because they couldn't complete two times two, because they couldn't complete a full sentence, Donald Trump, that they discount science. And now you've got people all over Facebook, and I'm thankful that the social media accounts pulled this crap down. Because that's all it is, ladies and gentlemen. It's crap. And it does nothing more than to think about. It. Let, let, since, let, me, let me do this. Since you believe in that conspiracy theory, let me throw another one at you. Let me throw another let me throw a black conspiracy theory at you. What if the coronavirus, by the way, they said that Dr. Fauci actually created the coronavirus and he he stands to make millions of dollars off of the cure. So let me throw another coronavirus conspiracy theory at you from the black perspective. Is that yeah, that virus was created by white people. It was created by the Trump administration. And it was created for the sole purpose that they knew that the majority of the people who would die from that virus would be minorities. Because they are so fearful of what's going to happen in 2042. That being, now this part is not a conspiracy. That being that they will officially become, they being white people, will officially become minorities in the United States. So in order to beat back that trend, in order to try to win against genetics, they decided to come up with a virus to try to kill as many black, brown people as possible. That's my conspiracy theory. Now, did you notice how I laced some facts in there? One of that, that fact, that main fact was that in 2042, America will be majority minority for the first time in its history. We've already talked about this. There are already states where there are more minorities than there are white people. There are, I believe, 14 states where white people are dying faster than they are being born, which eventually will make those states majority minority. That's a fact. But the lie was that this virus was recreated by the Trump administration So, because they knew that it would kill blacks and minorities at higher rates than whites because they wanted to make sure that they could 
they could stave off 2042. Boy, that's some deep doo-doo right there. That's a conspiracy theory that sounds like, oh, yeah, boy, that really makes sense. I can understand that because, you know, America is going to be, it's definitely going to be a minority in 2042, and white people are scared. They don't want to be a minority in America, so they're going to do everything they can to try to, to try to make sure that doesn't happen. They, I would agree they are. That's, what, that's why these KKK people are wanting a race war. But see, the problem is when you, when you lace lies with facts, there are a lot of people out there who are lazy, who don't want to do the research, and those are the people that get caught hook, line, and sinker, and that is what is happening to a lot of black people as it relates to this doctor. See, she's black, so right away, black people look at her and think she has credibility. And then when she starts talking and she laces some of her comments with fact, oh, that sounds okay. And because you are not versed in science, you'll believe this stuff. And then certainly if you are a president who is a bald-faced liar, literally everything that comes out of his mouth, and you want to try and make it as though that you know more than others, you know more than the scientists, you you know more than the generals, then yeah, you're going to look for anything and everything you can to try to bolster your point of view, even if it's a lie. So I'm saying this to tell you all that if you get blocked from my wall, it is because that you have posted a conspiracy theory that is utterly preposterous. And this thing with this black female doctor, it should have lost you when she started talking about alien DNA. Hell, this is not the X-Files. Look, I told you at the beginning of this show that I'm a geeked out space guy. I believe that there is, there is alternate life in the universe. I cannot believe that the good Lord would have made the mistake and created human beings with all the flaws that we have. I believe that whomever created the universe, whomever you call, whatever you call him or her, there are other solar systems, and certainly there are just based on science, that there are there is other life out there. I believe that. But until I see documented proof that that other life has visited the United States, the world proper, spare me with the alien DNA crap. Okay? I'm just saying. We got to get out of here. I hope you all enjoyed the show. I certainly did. We didn't get to talk about Bill Barr. We'll get to him tomorrow. We've got to play some of that stuff. Pramila Jarapal wore him out. Got to play it. 
We got to get out of here. Here's the quote of the day. In Africa, the woman's place was not only with her family. She often ruled nations with with unquestionable authority. Many African women were great militarists and on occasion led their armies in battle. The Africans had produced a civilization where men were secure enough to let their women advance as far as their talent, royal lineage, and prerogatives would take them. That's by Dr. John Henry Clark and Dr. Ivan Van Sertema. Y'all have a great day. You've been listening to Black Focus, where we discuss our issues with our solutions and our voices. Join us every weekday afternoon at 1 p.m. on joinetradio.com.